From Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, it's Brandon. I'm joined today by Duck Territory's Eric Scopel. Um, it is game week, finally. Um, I feel like I've been talking about this game since 2004. Uh, it's it's getting ridiculous. Finally, we're going to get to see them kick off Saturday at 6.30 p.m. on ABC. And so to get to know a little bit more about the Ducks, I wanted to bring on Eric and uh, from our from our sister site here in the twenty four seven sports network, Eric, um, I've been keeping up with your guys's coverage, uh, of course, uh, throughout the summer and particularly here through August. But kind of set the scene for us in Eugene going into this game, what it means to the fan base, what it means to the program. Mario Cristobal heading into his second year, and then obviously. Um, how Oregon feels heading into this game. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brandon. Uh, excited to do this and and talk a little about this game because, like you, I've been <laughs> I feel like I've been waiting since I guess 2010, the last time these teams met uh, to talk about this. But uh, yeah, you know, this game means a, a ton. Cristobal entering his second season. Uh, last year's schedule didn't really provide the opportunity for any significant non-conference victories and. Uh, this is an opportunity, I think, to sort of to set his mark. Obviously, somebody who's had a lot of experience from the the Southeast himself, you know, played at Miami, coached at Alabama, also spent some time at Miami after he graduated uh, in the years after that. So it, I think there's a certain level for him of uh, he wants to show and prove that he's elevated this program so they can compete with with schools like Auburn, with schools from the Southeast, where, where again he's so familiar. Uh, and to just show that that this program is able to do that because, you know, frankly, Oregon and, and the Pac-12 as a whole hasn't really shown very well over the last, probably dating back to 2014, the last time, uh, you know, Oregon was in the national championship game. There just haven't been a lot of marquee victories and certainly not wins over schools like Auburn, just not very many of them to boast for the conference and certainly for Oregon. So I think this this game means a ton for for kind of proving and maybe it's cliche to say, but that they're back to a certain extent, that they're able to compete at this stage. And if they do go out and compete well and, and pick up a victory, I think it sets them up to to a place where they feel like that they, they belong in that discussion. And, you know, they're I know personally they're to me, you know, when you when you look at Oregon ranked the way they are, uh, to me, there is a little bit of uncertainty if, if that's fully deserved just based upon what last year looked like. I mean, they won nine games, but they won the Red Box Bowl and they only scored seven points. And, you know, there's a, a bunch of issues at, at certain positions. And so I think this game means a ton for kind of proving that. And then if they if they do pick up a win, it, it sets them up with, with the way their schedule plays out to, to possibly actually contend for a spot in the college football playoff, which is obviously what everybody out west is is looking for. Again, the, the conference hasn't had too many teams that could really say that recently. Obviously, Washington in 2016 was the last Pac-12 team to, to represent the conference uh, in the college football playoff. So, so this is an opportunity, I think, not just for Oregon, but for the conference to do that. And in terms of the confidence level, they've kind of, you know, they, they've said all the right things all fall. You know, players, coaches, everybody has 
has communicated a level of confidence that they that they think they deserve uh, the preseason kind of distinction as you know the top team of the Pac-12 North is how they were voted and uh, in terms of the AP poll at least uh, the highest rated Pac-12 school I think they they feel like they're ready to sort of carry that banner and it all starts uh, you know in, in Dallas or Arlington wherever you want to say it specifically this this week and uh, I'll be very very curious to see what team shows up in, in part because. You look at last year's schedule, and, and Oregon was really, really bad away from Autzen Stadium. And, and this is a year where you don't have an opportunity to really work out those kinks away from home. You, you know, or, or should say, you don't have the opportunity to work those kinks out at home at Autzen Stadium. Uh, they're going to have to do this one on the fly, and they're going to have to be ready right away. So you mentioned it there. You know, obviously every team has its its weaknesses and its strengths, but. You look at Oregon last year, they they were inconsistent. There were some games in there you just go, how did that happen? And I think a lot of people nationally, they look at the Red Box Bowl and go, how the heck did that happen, the 7-6 game? But, you know, I, I look at stats like the receivers dropping 52 passes and Oregon bringing in Penn State grad transfer Jawan Johnson. Um, are they – is it – this been an attempt this – this offseason one to obviously correct mistakes, but really focus on those receivers and trying to help out Justin Herbert, who's obviously, you know, a first round draft pick, but maybe giving him some help and getting more consistency there and living up to expectations with the passing game so that one um, receivers can improve, but two, maybe you don't see as, as much inconsistency in games as we did last season with the Ducks. Yeah, and it's one thing that is also worth mentioning is uh, they made a change at wide receivers coach. Uh, Michael Johnson took a job, I believe, at Mississippi State, and they brought in uh, Javon Bonite, who was at Utah State and had a quick uh, stop, I believe, at Texas Tech before heading over to, to, to Oregon to, to take over that position group. And I think, uh, well, Johnson kind of made a lateral move. I think that the hope was that getting some new blood in there would kind of help correct some things. And, you know, this spring, a, a lot of what the talk about was just gaining the confidence back from that group because you mentioned it 52 drops is an obscene number and and the the yardage that was lost the potential touchdowns that were lost the potential drives that were that were ended because of just untimely drops and it was basically across the board besides Dylan Mitchell who had a tremendous season last year out, out wide and was now part of the Minnesota Vikings organization set some school records uh, during his junior season there really wasn't a consistent force at wide receiver um, and that's something that has to be rectified this season and certainly has been kind of the focus in the spring, focus in the fall. You know, you, you talked about entering fall camp. I think from a position group perspective, you felt pretty good about every single position group besides wide receiver. I mean, they return everybody on the offensive line. They return Herbert. They return all their top running backs. You know, they, they return two out of three starters on the defensive line. They return, uh, you know, depending on how you look at the the new linebackers, because they changed defensive schemes, they return basically everyone there. They return all but one starter in the secondary. I mean, it's a team that's really pretty veteran and has, has been together, but it's that wide receiver position that you go, gosh, uh, can, can they make this? Can they make enough plays? And uh, I think that still, to me, remains to be seen. And that becomes the big question mark. And uh, and this has been a rough fall camp for that position group. They've already got three players that were expected to be either starters or certainly pushing for starting spots who are ruled out for this game with injury. Uh, Brendan Schooler is a senior who was expected to start outside. Uh, he broke his foot and he's out for 
uh, at least until probably the Stanford game. So a, a handful of games down the line. Uh, Micah Pittman, who for all intents and purposes, from everything we heard and we saw some practice and the stuff we saw was tremendous from him, a true freshman right receiver, a top 100 recruit. Uh, he suffered a shoulder injury and he's out for, you know, five to six more weeks still. And J.R. Waters, another highly regarded freshman receiver, also dealing with a foot injury. He's out for an extended period of time. So it's a position group that is uh, dealing with some injuries and depth has sort of been taking a hit. And uh, it's that's going to be, I think, a, a big key for Saturday is, is how do they adjust and, and are they able to find open space in the field? And, and when they do get open, are they able to make the catches that last year they didn't get, you know, they didn't complete every time because for the most part, it's a lot of the same guys back. And you mentioned Juwan Johnson and Oregon received a scare about a week ago where he, we saw him hobbling out of practice. And uh, it, fortunately it sounds like it's just a, a cramp and he's now back, but uh, that would have been another disaster with him out. I don't I don't even know where you go, but it's certainly a position group where you've got six or seven now healthy bodies, which is at least enough to have a rotation. Whereas if Johnson had missed and there's a couple other guys that have had, you know, nicks and bruises all camp, it could have been a total disaster. So I think they feel like they're more well-equipped, but you know, basically it's the same group as last year that struggled up and down the season with the exception of Dylan Mitchell, who, like I said, was their go-to guy. So, I mean, it's, it's still, I mean, if Oregon is, is going to win this game, it's going to be because wide receivers make plays. I think I don't, I don't think they can uh, make enough plays offensively if, if they just can't get anything going down the field vertically, especially, I, I just don't see it. And so to me, yeah, if, if they can't catch those passes and, and Herbert last year had his ups and downs, but I think a lot of the issue statistically, I think he had a completion percentage under 60 percent. That was due to the fact that receivers just didn't hang on to the ball when, when they needed to. And and it, and it really hurt the offense. And, it, and I think it really hurt sort of the trajectory of that season because it really started to pick up right around that midpoint of the season where they started losing games. The guys just couldn't catch passes and drives were stalling out. So, yeah, that absolutely is to me, you know, one of the things I'm keeping a very close eye on is, is that group. Now, I look at this running attack for the Oregon Ducks, and C.J. Verdell, I think, what was he, the only Power 5 player to have 1,000 yards rushing and 300 yards receiving last season. What kind, What type of runner is he? And obviously, it seems like on paper, Oregon's pretty deep at that position. What made the running game go last season, and what are they expecting this year? Yeah, actually, they just released the depth chart today and Verdell and uh, another sophomore Travis Dye uh, both listed as kind of an or with the first string so it's kind of a 1A 1B thing and that was kind of the way it was last year with with Verdell and Dye who were both freshmen and both performed pretty well last year uh, I think you're going to see a lot of those two guys a third running back Cyrus Habibi Lakio is a little bit of your bigger back he was primarily a goal line guy last year I think in the first four games he had like seven rushing touchdowns on eight or nine carries or something like that that's kind of what he did last year, there's some talk, and we'll see if it plays out that he sort of opened his game up more. But I think it really is Verdell and Die, and uh, neither guy is is a huge body type. Uh, I mean, they're both pretty short, smaller body kind of guys. Verdell is built like a brick house. He's a big, strong, thick guy, big legs. Probably one of the stronger pound for pound guys on the whole team. Uh, great leg power. Not a, not a breakaway speed guy who's going to fly by you like some of those. You know, DeAnthony Thomas's and the Michael James that Oregon had uh, years ago. But he certainly has that that body type and that strength to, to between the tackles really have some success. And, you know, with with the Mario Cristobal coach team and the, the priority they have on offensive line play, I think he's kind of that fit. If he was a couple inches taller, 
he'd probably be getting even more recognition because he, he's, again, he's, I think, about 5'8", 210 pounds. If he was 5'10", 5'11", and he was 220, 225 pounds, I think people would be talking about him even more. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be him and it's going to be Die who I think are going to get the bulk of the carries. And Cristobal said today it's it's not one guy who's locked into that starting spot. It's two guys who are going to be doing the work together. So I, I think you'll see a lot of both those guys um, – you mentioned it earlier, Verdell also really valuable in the receiving game. I think, uh, you know, somebody that is, can be on the field for all three downs, but clearly they, they want to kind of mix it up a, a little bit. But you'll see a lot of those two guys. You'll probably see a little bit of Cyrus Hibibilikio, um, a fourth running back. Darian Felix was hurt pretty much all of last season. He's probably your, your, your fastest guy. You get him in the open field, you're going to have a hard time catching him. Uh, he's been dealing with, you know, injuries basically throughout his whole career here. It'll be interesting to see if he is healthy, how much he can help uh, this season or how much he's even involved with things. But yeah, I think you're, you're looking at those two guys. And uh, I, I, again, one of the keys for me besides the passing game for Oregon is going to be that, and you've, I'm sure I've talked about this a lot, is, is that Oregon offensive line against that Auburn defensive line. And whoever wins those battles is going to be hard to beat. And I think the running backs are, are going to be kind of the beneficiaries of, of, it, of it working really well or are going to be kind of uh, hindered if it doesn't go very well up front. So the Oregon offensive line, they return all the starters, and I've heard people say it's maybe the best in the country, the best in the Pac-12. I've had, I've had some other people go, no, it's not the best in the country, um, but it's up there somewhere in the Pac-12, but not might not even be the best in the Pac-12. How do you think it stacks up, in your opinion, and who are some names that we should really keep an eye on heading into this game? Because... I keep getting all these mixed signals from people, people who cover Oregon about, yeah, it's the best. Maybe not, it's not the best. Um, give us a lowdown. Yeah, it's. I think continuity probably plays a little bit into the perception there. This is a group that has, well, three guys who've started about three, you know, who are coming into their fourth season starting together um, in, in Jake Hansen, Shane Lemieux, and Calvin Throckmorton. Uh, those guys have they started as redshirt freshmen three years ago, then as sophomores and juniors, and now they're in their fourth year together. Um, and, and I think that plays a role in it. All five starters from last year back. Um, but from a produ- pure production perspective, it, it wasn't like it was a season that was incredible. I think from a rushing perspective, it was actually the, the worst rushing season Oregon had had. I, I might get my years wrong. It was either 2005 or 2006, purely from a, a yards per game perspective. And some of that had to do with inconsistencies in the passing game and teams were loading up the box. And part of that might have had to do with, with a handful of other things. But certainly it's a group that was sort of up and down. There were games where they completely dominated the line of scrimmage and Oregon ran like crazy. You look at if you go want to look at some crazy running stats, go pull up Oregon, Oregon State in the Civil War last year, where both running backs almost ran for 200 yards and they had like seven combined rushing touchdowns. But there were other games where it, it wasn't much of anything up front. So I, I don't know if I'd say they're the best in the country. I, I don't know if I'd say they're the – I don't know. I, I can't really think of a Pac-12 offensive line that's better, to be honest with you, just because of all the guys they return. Uh, but it's certainly a really, really good group. And it, we, we should mention uh, that they released the depth chart today, and there's still six guys really jockeying for five spots. And and the way it plays out is uh, – and you mentioned guys to talk about. I think Calvin Throckmorton is the person to start with. He's incredibly versatile. He's – I think – you know, the the ultimate Swiss Army knife offensive lineman. He's played every position over the last three seasons besides left guard. And that's because Shane Lemieux has been playing there the whole time. But he's been he's basically their backup center. He can he's capable of starting at left tackle, right tackle. He's 
best position might be right guard. And they're in a situation right now where they've got three seniors and uh, on that right side, and they're trying to pick between who's our best right guard, our best right tackle, and and basically wh- whoever they like at one of those spots, Calvin Throckmorton is going to start at the other spot. So it, there's a ton of uh, experience there, and, and Throckmorton adds this whole element with his versatility where you could theoretically have a guy like Dallas Warmack who started every game last year at right guard, uh, and that would leave Throckmorton at right tackle. Or you could see Brady Aiello, who has, I think, about 20 career starts as well, uh, maybe he's at right tackle and Throckmorton slides inside to right guard. So uh, that, that's that's kind of the the interesting thing is that right side still isn't completely cleared up. Even on the depth chart they, re- they released today, there, there were oars at both right guard and right tackle because they're just still trying to figure it out. Um, Jake Hansen is, is notable at center, but I think that the team's three best offensive linemen are Calvin Throckmorton, Shane Lemieux at left guard, and then Penny Sewell was a, a true freshman starter last year, probably a guy who depending on who you talk to, people think could be a, a first-round draft pick, maybe a, a top-ten pick in a couple years when he comes out. He's got that kind of talent. He's somebody that will be interesting to follow. And, and I should note, last year when he was playing to start the season, they won all their games besides a really weird loss to Stanford. And then he suffered a serious injury, and they really kind of struggled down the stretch there, running the football, protecting Herbert. He came back for that Red Box Bowl and, and, and looked like he was probably playing at 85, 90%. So seeing where he's at this year, I think is significant because he's somebody that has, I think, a huge ceiling and probably in terms of the ceiling of the group probably has the highest. We'll be right back with Eric to discuss more about Oregon after these messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So, Eric, tell me about this defense. When I when I look at Oregon's defense, I look at that secondary, and I, I wrote this on Monday on our site, and it's just on paper and, and looking at things, and you tell me if I'm wrong. It looked a little suspect to me just because there were so many pieces that they're trying to still figure out at least a week or so ago, trying to figure out with the depth chart, who's going to start where, who's going to be in the two deep, and... That, that, that should be a little bit of a concern heading into a, a season opener. If, if there is a concern in the defense, it probably is the secondary. But at the same time, I'd say that group might have actually the highest ceiling of any group. Um, Oregon's playing kind of like a 3-3-5, 4-2-5, depending upon what you consider this uh, hybrid outside linebacker defensive end position under a new defensive coordinator. Uh, and so there, there, is a, there are five defensive backs in the field, and basically three of the spots are locked up right now. You know, they got their two corners uh, in Thomas Graham and Diamond Lenore are, are really talented guys, highly rated recruits. And Graham is now entering his third season as a full time starter, Lenore into his second. 
you feel pretty good about those two guys. And then Javon Holland at one of the safety spots was, I think, second in the Pac-12 last year in interceptions. And, and that came as a guy who was kind of a bit part in the defense. He played a lot, but I think he only started two games. And uh, and so he's he's expected to take another big step and supposedly improved a lot. I think he's a guy who could be an all-conference caliber player. But you're right that the other two spots, the the other safety spot, there's still uncertainty about who starts there. And then there's a, the nickel spot, which is really up for grabs. And that's probably the spot defensively that you would say might be the weakest for the defense just because the guys that are looking at starting there, one of them was a one of them was a redshirt freshman who didn't play much last year. The other was a uh, is a redshirt senior who didn't play much last year. And the other one is a true freshman. So whoever is in that spot is going to be pretty inexperienced playing at this level. Um, and, and so that that would be the one area to really keep an eye on. And uh, it, it kind of remains to be seen if, if who wins that job. And, and, and if there is a weakness, it's probably there. But I think if if it all comes together, that the, the top end talent's really, really good at that spot. There are, are some really talented younger guys that are also trying to push in at corner. I, I think the, the depth at corner for Oregon this year, in terms of just if it all comes together, it could be one of the strengths of the whole defense and maybe the whole team, just because, again, Thomas Graham and Diom DeLore are really talented. Another corner, Mikhail Wright, was a, a top 75 recruit at a at a high school last year, and he looked great in the spring and has looked good in the you know limited opportunities we've had to see him this year a couple of other players ha- have looked good too but yeah the, the the safety issue i think is con- a concern because they lost ugo amadi last year who was who was really their, their top safety and, and kind of the defensive leader especially in that defensive backfield and and now they are going to be relying upon kind of a couple of guys in spots that they haven't played in but uh i think it's going to be a, another big test there against this group of auburn wide receivers i know uh, there's a lot of speed there and it'll be interesting to see how they stretch the field, but it is a group and Grant, Graham and Lenore told me uh, at PAC 12 media, or I should say at Oregon's media day that they want to prove this year that, uh, that they're the best defensive back or the best cornerback tandem in the country. So there is some confidence and bravado from those two guys, but we'll see what they do on the field. Uh, you know, last year they had moments where they were really, really impressive. Um, they went against Arizona state's Nikhil Harry and, and, did a, a pretty darn good job of, of limiting his production in a win over Arizona State. And he was a first-round draft pick now with the Patriots. And But there are other games that you look back at the Stanford game and the Washington State game and the Arizona game to a certain extent. And, boy, there were some there were some times where they, it just didn't look very good. So, yeah, again, another area that I, I think if you try to be the eternal optimist, you feel pretty good about the secondary. But you, if you're being realistic, you look at it and go, it could be some issues here. You know, the one area I haven't heard a lot about is Oregon's defensive line. I've heard about Thibodeau, but mm-hmm. and I've heard, I guess, he's maybe moving around a little bit. But tell me a yeah. little bit about the defensive line, how they stack up, um, and, and what Auburn fans should expect there. Yeah, Thibodeau's been playing uh, defensive end or that hybrid standing linebacker kind of position that I mentioned earlier. And in, in the depth chart today, he was listed at defensive end. I asked head coach Mario Cristobal, uh, if he was, that's a permanent move. And he said, no, we just don't have room in the depth chart to list him at two or three different spots. So he is somebody they can move around a little bit. It's unclear if he's going to start or not. He might be a guy that comes in purely on passing, uh, downs and, and kind of, that's his role. I mean, obviously, uh, the number two rated recruit last year in the 2018 class, a, a really highly regarded guy. Um, uh, somebody very much should say 2019 recruiting class, somebody very much capable of making an impact, but it'll be interesting to see how they choose to utilize him. And, and then in terms of that, the defensive line as a whole, it's, it's got a lot of veterans. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Scott in the middle 
at, at nose tackle is is a huge body and somebody who's entering his third year as a starter. Uh, he's somebody certainly capable uh, of, of of forcing a double team or whatnot to kind of stop him from getting pressure up the middle of of the offense because that's he's got incredible lower body drive and, and leg strength and that's sort of what he provides. Not really a pass rusher at all, but especially on rundowns, he he can really play a role. And then the other end spots, uh, juniors and seniors are, are battling there. Austin Falu and Drayton Carberg and Gus Cumberlander and we mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau are, are guys that are are certainly capable. But I don't think outside of Thibodeau, there's not like that top tier NFL probably getting drafted caliber guys, if I'm being honest. I think Falu would probably be the guy who has the best chance. He started about a dozen games in two seasons at Oregon. But I think he talked to people. And I don't know if. They know what position he really is at the next level. I don't think he's quite uh, maybe an NFL caliber guy. If he is, he's probably going to be towards the end of the draft. So it's a group that has, I think, a guy like Jordan Scott is really the anchor of that group, the veteran in that group, uh, a guy you'll probably, if things are going well for Oregon, you'll hear his name quite a bit because he'll be in the backfield. Um, and then Thibodeau is kind of, to me, the wild card. And I should mention another guy, DJ Johnson, a transfer from Miami, another highly rated recruit. He's uh, another guy off the edge who who it kind of remains to be seen if he's going to be playing linebacker or, or defensive end. But wherever he lines up, I think it sounds like he's capable of being an impact guy. He's like 6'5", 275, but was you know one of the faster guys from the defensive line and linebacker group as a whole. So he's got pretty good uh, athletic intangibles. So it'll be interesting to see how they utilize both of those guys. And again, just, just the way Andy Avalos, the new defensive coordinator at Oregon, how he decides to attack attack Auburn, I think is one of the things I'm most curious to see because they've done a pretty good job of being tight-lipped and, and not releasing too much about even really schematically what it looks like. I think it's a 3-3-5 or a 4-2-5, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some times where you have four linebackers or five linebackers out there just because they've talked about being multiple and maybe there'll be times where there are four or five down linemen. I think they're going to try to throw a bunch of different things um, at Auburn and they're doing a pretty good job of keeping it tight-lipped in terms of what that'll look like. Yeah, I think a lot of Oregon or excuse me, Auburn players are kind of sitting there and they're they're just watching film, obviously, of uh Avalos's defense at Boise State last year. A lot of them saying three three five or looking all that stuff. But as you said, you always like to bust something out new in these season openers because these first games are all about the teams that make the best adjustments um after those new things get thrown at them to counter them. I mean, really I mean, we talk about coaching all the time in my opinion, but like I always say players, you know, win games, coaches lose games. And it's games like this where a coach can lose a game just because they don't make the right adjustment. That's what you're hired to do. It'll be interesting to see what Oregon does from that standpoint and also Auburn, what they do considering they're facing off against a defensive coordinator who obviously hasn't coached at Oregon yet, but has some film with different personnel at Boise state. Um, So tell me, Eric, um, this game comes down to a field goal being kicked from 40 yards. Is Oregon in good shape? <laughs> uh, my, my immediate reaction is probably no, uh, because last year they didn't make any from that distance. And they do. They did sign a prep kicker uh, to scholarship in Camden Lewis. And it sh- I should note that a lot of depth chart talk, but we just got this information today. They, they have three place kickers listed as oars. So there's three guys that theoretically could, they could trot out onto the field to kick a field goal for the first time they attempt one this season. So there's, there's still uncertainty there about that position group, but 
my gut right now, and we don't, we have to, I haven't seen a single place kick attempted since spring in the spring game. So it, it, it remains to be seen kind of any of the improvements made. But that to me, you know, place kicker is a spot on the team where, yeah, I, I think if it's a tie game with, with four seconds to go and you throw out whichever one of those guys is the kicker, I don't know how much confidence there is, at least from the fan base and from the outside perspective. I don't know internally if they're feeling much better, but uh, it, it was a, an issue last year where, there were times where Oregon would, would be at about the 33-yard line and they take a penalty and punt it just because there was no confidence in kicking a field goal. Uh, they just knew that that was t- out of the range. You know, There were times where they maybe even a couple of yards closer in than that that they would do the same thing just because there wasn't a lot of confidence that they could hit those kicks. So you, you hope that's better, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't have a ton of confidence trotting any of those guys out there. And I should mention Adam Stack, who was the place kicker last year, was dealing with, uh, I think, a nagging sports hernia injury all season. Uh, and that, I'm sure, impacted his ability to make those kicks. I don't think he practiced fully really the whole season, although I don't know as a kicker what, what that looks like in terms of practicing fully. But uh, he, he's supposedly healthy now, reportedly, uh, and, and looking better and looking more like who they thought he was. And they brought him in as one of the more highly regarded uh, prep place kickers a couple of years ago. But uh, that's not a position of, of much confidence. And, and honestly, special teams as a whole – a ton of question marks. Punter last year, they didn't do. They weren't fantastic there either. They rotated between a couple of guys. This year, it sounds like uh, they've named Blake Maimon their full-time punter. Uh, the return game, they lost their top punt returner and they lost their top kick returner from last year, and they're going to have to replace those spots with guys who haven't done it at this level. So, special teams to me could be could be one of those X-factor parts of this game because for Oregon, at least, I look at it and go like, I, there's not an area where I go, man, they're really, really good at that part of the game. I mean, in terms of the kicking part, I mean, basically every phase of it is, is sort of a question mark at this point. So, but yeah, to answer the original question, uh, personally, I know I'm not, I'm not jumping for joy if this game comes down to a, a place kick if, I, if I'm Oregon at the end of the game. Okay, so I don't necessarily want to put you on the spot when it comes to predictions or anything, but... Do, do you have a prediction? How do you see this game? How do you see this game transpiring? Um, I think it's going to be kind of low scoring, uh, which is different than what I thought in the offseason. But just with the Oregon's issues um, at wide receiver, I just don't see them scoring a ton of points in this game. And I, I think I think Oregon wins. I, I think having Justin Herbert is a huge advantage, especially against a kind of a, an uncertainty at, with Bo Nix at quarterback. Obviously, he's really talented, and I went and watched some of those highlights. I'm like, this guy can do a lot of really good things. But Herbert is, you know, he's, he's considered a top-five draft pick for a reason. He's considered a potential franchise NFL quarterback for a reason. He's got all the physical tools in the world. He's really good between the years, too. You know, his GPA is over four. You, you talk with him, and, and he's somebody who, regardless of if it's football, is going to do something special down the line. I don't know if it's a fair comparison, but there's a little bit of Andrew Luck, which I know is a timely name right now. Uh, but just in terms of how he carries himself and the type of athlete he is. So there's a lot to like there. And I think this is an opportunity for him to really prove that he kind of lives up to some of these hype and, and some of these discussion points. Because to this point, he doesn't really have a signature game. Uh, it probably would have been the Stanford game last year, but they blew that game. You know, they won that Washington game, but I don't think that was a really a pr- premier Justin Herbert performance. I think this is an opportunity for him to kind of take over. But at the same time, I, I just don't think there's a ton of points score. So I think Oregon wins. I think I predicted 
earlier this week, 17-14 Oregon, because I just don't see a ton of points in this one. And, and maybe I'll be totally wrong, and who knows, they could they could surpass that point total by the end of the first quarter, and and, and it could be a shootout. But my, my hunch is this is a game where Auburn's defense stops Oregon from racing the ball up and down the field, and uh, the, the issues with you know, a, a true freshman quarterback going into his first game against a pretty decent Oregon defense, I don't think this is the best unit Oregon has had. Uh, in, in this decade, but it's probably the best they've had in a handful of years, maybe back to that 2014 season. Uh, so I just think it's, I don't see a lot of points being scored. You agree with that? Or do you think it'll be a little high, more high scoring? You know, I've, I've thought all along that there won't be many points scored in the game, but then I'm just kind of like, you know, someone, someone's going to score four touchdowns in this game. I, 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 someone's going to do that. I don't see, you know, I don't see these teams like settling for field goals. They're going to try and just get into the end zone and, you know, grab that early lead. Um, but I, 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 I'm leaning with you. You know, I, I did my game by game predictions uh, just for the entire season, actually, and post them Saturday and Auburn fans hate me for it. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I predicted Oregon to win 28 to 21. Um, you know, going into last season, I kind of had a similar feeling about the Washington game, but the difference here is just, listen, is Justin Herbert, like you just said, Justin Herbert is a such a much better quarterback than Jake Browning and, you know, different programs, different teams, obviously Auburn's a different team now. Um, but Jake Browning had a lot of success throwing the ball down the field against Auburn. And that's kind of was their Achilles heel last year. Um, and until Auburn can prove that it can be a little bit more consistent defensively, I, I have to go with Oregon right now. And I know that sounds weird that Auburn fans are listening to this right now because, because everybody just assumes Auburn's defense is great, and it has been great. But they've been inconsistent defending the pass, and they're about to go against a you know a future NFL quarterback in Justin Herbert. And when Auburn – is going into a game and they're going to start a true freshman quarterback that gives you another pause for concern. So, you know, that that's kind of why I'm going with Oregon early in the season. Now, if it was week six, maybe I'd feel a little bit differently, but you know, at this point, I, I think Auburn's just, you know, I, I get the feeling that they were, they're probably going to play it close to the vest offensively and try and lean on that defense. And all it really takes is, two or three explosive plays and Oregon could just end up winning this game off of that. So that's kind of how I feel about it. But then again, who knows? It's week one. <laughs> I mean, there's no telling what's going to happen. None, none of our predictions really mean anything, but what I'm glad about is that um, we could, we could stop blabbing about it and just actually cover a game. I know. Isn't that exciting? I've spent like the last four months talking about stuff that I, that I, there's no immediate rea- you know, result to, to talk about, and it's just all hypothetical. But now we actually can watch a football game and go and maybe have some real knee-jerk reactions, but at least have something to talk about that's cemented in reality for once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's the other thing. It's like week one, and then, and then everybody overreacts. Um, you, know, uh, you know, Auburn beat Washington last year. Everybody thinks Auburn's a playoff contender, still has to go through a brutal schedule, ends up losing, you know, um, five games, and then Washington goes on to win the Pac-12. Yeah. So it's just just how things work. So anyway, Eric, thank you so much for joining us on the Auburn Undercover Podcast. We will uh, see you in Arlington. 
Yeah, can't wait to to put a, a name to the face here uh, on Saturday. Be good to see you. I'll be the bald headed one with the big red beard. I'm very hard. <laughs> not not very difficult to miss. So yeah, I'll, I'm sure I'll, I'll pick it up. So <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very much, Eric, and thank you guys for listening. It's the Auburn Undercover Podcast. We'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Auburn Undercover.